want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'm going to put a graphic up on the screen behind me that gives you some uh, simple instructions on how to find the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you're not familiar with where Ephesians is located, uh, you can grab one of the Bibles out of our pew or grab the one you brought and you can follow the instructions that are uh, over here on your left. Now, if you've got the Bible app downloaded on your device, you can actually pull the Bible app up uh, and follow along. Our sermon notes are in the Bible app, so you can follow the instructions uh, that are on the screen to the right uh, to find us in the Bible app. I'll leave this, uh, this graphic up on the screen for a few minutes so that you can locate Ephesians chapter 4. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I got the uh, privilege to go on a cruise. Have you ever been on a cruise? Some of you have been on one. It's, it's great. I mean, you're basically on a boat surrounded by people that are paid to cater for your, to your every need, right? You, you, you can go eat whenever you want. You go walk up to any employee and ask them for something. And if they can't get it, they'll find somebody to get it for you. You, you, you just lay around and do whatever you want. And everyone there is paid to make sure your experience is as amazing as possible. I loved it. It was relaxing. We slept in. We, we swam. We went and saw different places all over that the ship would, would stop at. I mean, it was a great time. But let me ask you a question. Is the church, if the, sh if the church were a ship, would it be like a cruise ship or throw that next picture on the screen? <laughs> or would the church be like a battleship? What do you think? Yeah, it's a carrier, but yes. I was gonna do a picture of a battleship, but a carrier just looks so much more impressive. Yeah, they are cool. But think about it for just a moment. If the church was a ship, would it be a cruise ship or would it be a battleship or aircraft carrier? I'm going to make the argument this morning that we are the polar opposite of a cruise ship. There is no similarity between the church and a cruise ship. We are on a mission. We are a people who has a commander-in-chief that has given us a directive and we're all part of one massive crew sent out by that commander-in-chief to accomplish that mission, aren't we? The church is not a place where you come and you sit in comfy pews and have every need met. We are part of a crew that's been given a mission to work hard toward because we love our commander-in-chief. We love the one who gave all for us. But before we can kind of fully unpack this illustration, we've gotta ask the question, what's the mission? As a church, just in general, churches in general, not necessarily this church specifically, but just church in general, what is the mission of the church? 
There's so many answers because God gives us so many directives. But I wanna focus on one that's found in Ephesians 4. So take your Bibles or your apps, turn to Ephesians 4. We're gonna begin in verse 12. Now, as you're turning to Ephesians 4, verse, or 11, sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 11, let me give you some background here. Paul is writing this letter. Paul was this great missionary who went all over uh, the Mediterranean world at that time, spread the gospel, uh, established churches, and he checks in on a regular basis on these churches to see how they're doing. He's hearing how they're doing, and so he would write a letter and say, hey, I'm hearing this. Let me give you some instruction. Let me encourage you. Now, this particular letter, Ephesians, he's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus, but he is writing from a pit prison cell. He is a prisoner of the Roman government, and he's been charged basically with promoting a king that wasn't Caesar. And yet, he spends his time focusing on the mission. He's not sitting in his prison cell going, oh, woe is me. I'm in a prison cell. Why are you doing this to me, God? He's not complaining. He's not crying. He's seeking the mission of the church. Look at what he says, verse 11. He says, and he gave, that means God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, so he's given all of these types of people within the church. Verse 12, here's the purpose. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's continue, verse 13. Until we had all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's take a moment, let's, let's look at what Paul is, is making the argument for. What is he saying here is the mission of the church? Well, he starts out in verse 11 by saying, listen, I'm giving you all these types of people. And if you look elsewhere, like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, uh, Romans 12, uh, various other places, you're going to find that what he's describing here are spiritual gifts. You know, some of you in this room have been gifted by God himself to teach, but some of you have not. Not everybody has the same giftings. Some of you have been gifted. You're just really good at evangelizing, at telling people about Jesus. Some of you love to go out and serve and do things in the name of Christ, loving people in his name. We've all got special gifts. 
Again, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There, there's just all of this information that every follower of Christ has been gifted with some kind of gifting for the work of the church, for the work of the body of Christ. But what's the purpose of those gifts? Why does God give them to us? Look at 12 with me again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul is arguing here that the reason that some of us can teach and some of us can serve and some of us can uh, evangelize and some of us uh, can shepherd, the reason for that, the sole purpose is to equip all of us to build up the church. Now, what's the point in building up the church? It's to see those who don't know Christ come to know Christ. The church exists to be a light in that world of darkness. There's a community right outside these doors. There's a community right outside the doors of your home and your work and your friends' homes. And this world that's outside is lost in darkness. They can't find their way. And they desperately need the light of Christ, as John chapter one tells us. And so we exist, we've been gifted to build one another up for the full work of the church. Now look with me in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Okay, now now stop there for just a second. We're called and we equip one another so that we can be in unity with one another. Now he's going to conclude this idea, this concept in verse 16. He's gonna conclude this idea by giving the comparison that the church, the body of Christ, is like a body. And the purpose is that every single one of us are different parts of that body. And when we're all working together, the body can go and do what it's called to go and do. Again, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 unpack this analogy a little further. It talks about how the the hand can't tell the eye, I don't need you. Because the hand can't accomplish the mission that the body needs it to accomplish if it doesn't have the rest of the body working with it. The the hand can't reach out to grab a piece of food if it doesn't even know the food's there because the other parts of the body has signaled to it that the food is in front of it. The hand can't even get to the table unless the feet and the legs carry it to the location where the food is at. We're all supposed to be working together as one united, almost like a machine, like a crew on an aircraft carrier, working together for the mission that God has given us. That's the illustration that Paul gives us here. So until we all attain to the unity of faith, unity is one of the keys. It's one of the foundational aspects that we must all agree upon and strive for as a church if we want to live for Christ as the body of Christ. Let's continue in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, 
Who is the son of God? Jesus. We're talking about, it's not talking about head knowledge necessarily. It's talking about head and relational knowledge. When you say that you've got a friend and you know them, it doesn't mean necessarily that you just have a head knowledge of that person. If I tell you that I know my wife, it's that I have a relationship with her. When Paul says the knowledge of the Son of God, he's talking about a head and relational heart knowledge of our Savior. I'll say this quickly, you know, we do a great job of attending Bible studies, but if those Bible studies aren't leading you to go and serve Christ and to go and and lead the lost to Jesus, then that Bible study is only a head knowledge and it hasn't gone down to the heart. We cannot be people, we cannot be a body of Christ that only has this but does not have this. We must love our Savior. We must relationally know our Savior. And he continues, look at what he says about this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to what? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I spoke about this a few weeks ago. We're we're all striving I mentioned it even last week. We're all striving to be more and more and more like Jesus. We'll never be like him completely in his perfection. But we're striving. We're working. We're we're trying to be as much like Jesus as we can be in that moment. Look with me in verse 14. So that, so here's a warning. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, dece- by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So Paul is warning us here, the reason that we first off live in unity and we work together to equip each other so that we have that head and heart knowledge of Jesus, one of the reasons that we do that is so that we don't get deceived, we don't get tricked into something that's not centered on this, that's not centered on our relationship with him. And so the warning here is that we must not get distracted and the way we don't get distracted from the mission is living in unity with one another as we all strive towards the knowledge of Christ, towards that maturity that the body of Christ drives us toward. Let me just say, you were not designed, as a follower of Jesus, you were not designed to live in your faith in isolation. God made you to be connected to a body. And without it, your faith is never going to grow to what God wants it to grow toward. A great illustration that I've heard is, if you're, you're, you're doing a fire pit in your backyard one night and you're watching the flames and, and you're watching the, the embers of these, the, the, the material that you're burning and it's all hot and it's glowing orange. If you were to take those tongs and pull out one piece of the wood that you were burning and you were to set it off to the side, it would be hot for a moment. 
But what's going to happen as the fire is continuing to burn and thrive and do what it's designed to do? What is this lowly piece of wood that's isolated going to do? It's going to go out. You are not designed to be that isolated piece of wood. You have been designed by God to be part of the body of Christ, working together, fanning the flame of your faith continually. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that together in unity, as we strive towards that knowledge, we're less likely to be tossed to and fro by every deceitful scheme that comes across. Guys, there are plenty of people outside these doors on your television, on your podcasts, on the books you read, and the, uh, the news, whatever that you listen to during the week. There's a lot of people that really want to see you get distracted from the mission of Christ. They would love to get you really afraid about all the things that are happening in the world and in your fear, stop living Christ out in your community. They would love to see that happen because it's the scheme of the enemy. It's how the enemy works. He doesn't put little statues in our houses. That's not a major problem for most of us in this room. So what does he do? He puts a television in our living room. And he puts people on that television that spew hate and fear. And you start worshiping that fear and that hate more than you worship the God of the universe. We have a mission. Don't get distracted from it is what Paul is saying here in in verse 13 and 14. Look with me in verse 15 now. So he's just given us this warning He's just said, you need to focus on unity. You need to focus on what you're doing for the mission of Christ and don't get distracted from it. Instead, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are one body. And let me tell you my heart for this next year. As a body of Christ, we need to be focused on what God wants us to be focused on. We need to measure our health and our growth by Jesus' standards, not our own. We have a lot of ideas about what healthiness looks like. We have a lot of ideas about what we think church should look like, what our lives of faith should look like. And sometimes those ideas of what we think things should look like are not the way God tells us they're supposed to look. God tells us in this one passage alone, but also in many other passages, that church health, the health of the believer, looks like unity in faith. Have you ever prayed, God, give me unity with my body, with my body of Christ? God, help me If I'm divisive in any way, help me to put that away. Help me to seek unity. Help me to be a person of peace. 
that helps to bring relationships together and redeem those broken situations. Attain that unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. Of course, we should be striving to know God better and better and better. But thinking back to verse 12, have you asked God to equip you so that you can equip others? So that you can serve within this body? Again, what part of the body might you be? Some of you may think, well, maybe I'm a nose, sniff out things. Maybe I'm the eyes that sees things from far away. Maybe I'm the ears that listens for those that need help. Maybe I'm that compassionate heart that beats, that helps the rest of the body seek out those that it needs to reach with the gospel of Jesus. Maybe I'm the legs that, that inspires other people to go out into the community and share Jesus with those that don't know him. What part of the body are you? You see, God defines the health of a church in a very specific way. There are mentions of numbers, the numbers of people in the early book of Acts, but beyond the early part of the book of Acts, Paul, Peter, John, James, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself never talks about, you'll know a church is healthy when it has lots of people sitting inside of it. There are lots of churches out there that have lots of people sitting inside of them and they are not healthy. The number of people sitting in our pews is not an indicator necessarily of church health. Now, I've heard the argument many times, well, if, you know, for doing things right, then our numbers will increase, hopefully. But let me ask you this, how's the increase actually going to happen? Is that something that our own schemes and strategies can physically bring into happening? Can we have the right strategy? And because of that strategy, we'll add numbers to the number of people that are sitting in these pews? No. What brings the increase? God. If God wants more people sitting in these pews, he will use you and he will use me to bring people into these pews. But let me tell you right now, if a church is not healthy, do you think God's gonna bring more people in? I don't think so. The fact of the matter is, is this is how God defines a healthy church. This body right here should live in unity, equipping one another, striving towards that knowledge of Christ, both head and heart knowledge of Him, keeping one another from getting deceived, getting distracted from the mission. That's what a healthy church looks like. And believe me, when people see unity and the family of God, the body of Christ loving one another, are they gonna wanna be a part of that? Absolutely. But if people walk in our doors and they hear us fighting with one another and feuding and they see factions and divisions, are they gonna stick around? Probably not. Church health is not defined by our worldly measurements. Church health is defined by our Savior. 
And we need to ask him what that looks like. And that brings me to today's big idea. I'm not a three-point pastor. I'm not going to give you three points and expect you to remember them this week. I like to leave you with one simple statement that I hope is easy to remember. And I hope you take it home this week and you open your Bible and you spend time reading and in prayer with that statement and making sure that what it says is biblically true and that God is calling you to it. And today's big idea is this. We want to be successful our way, but God wants us to be successful His way. Success is not necessarily about finances or numbers. Success is defined by unity and loving one another, equipping one another for His work. Success is when we are living as a body of Christ, loving one another to the point that people are drawn to the body because they see the gospel in the way we live, the way we live with one another. Truth is a massive part of that. We are a church that values truth. But if we have truth and we don't have love, then that truth has not affected our lives. It's not transformed us. So we have to define success God's way. So I compared the church to a a battleship, not a cruise ship, a battleship or an aircraft carrier. But how does Jesus talk about this? In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18, he's at this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's this area in northern Israel and there's this huge rock cliff. I've been there. It's really impressive. This cliff is straight up. It's flat, totally vertical, and it goes up 10 stories. It's a very imposing piece of nature. And at the base of this huge cliff is a cave, and water trickles out of it. Now, the Greeks in this particular city called it the gates of hell, this this opening. And listen to what Jesus says. Paint that picture in your mind. You're standing in front of this very imposing cliff that goes very high into the air. And it's straight up. And right here off to the side, you see this cave. And off to the to off, built off to the side of this cave are these pagan temples. Imagine you're standing there and Jesus is talking and says this. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16 of this passage in Matthew 16. I love this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has. And I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that last statement. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think about your house for a second. Is your door or the gate to your backyard, 
Is that an offensive weapon to keep people away? Like when people walk up to your door, does the door begin attacking them and shooing them off? No. A door or a gate is purely defensive. There's nothing that attacks from a door or a gate. It's the door or the gate is simply there to protect what's inside, right? Guys, the gates of hell has no power over you. And it certainly has no power over the church. You see, if we were to take this illustration of the church being a battleship or an aircraft carrier, throw that picture of the aircraft carrier back on the screen. If we were to continue to follow this illustration for just a moment, we as the church are called to go out, not to huddle in this place and protect ourselves, We're to go out and infiltrate that community in the name of Jesus. You see, here's the cool thing. We are all a crew on this battleship. And our commander-in-chief has given us a very specific mission. And he's given us this great crew to accomplish the mission. And that gate has no power over our firepower. Because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has already defeated the enemy. The enemy is cowering behind that gate, just trying to survive and take as many people down with him as he can. And our mission is to go out and save as many of those that he has deceived, to save as many of those as we can from the destruction that he wants to bring into their lives. He's done. He knows it. We're called to be part of the crew, the body of Christ, working together. But here's the thing. There's a reason I mentioned the cruise ship a moment earlier. You see, I I worry that some of us may be sitting on the deck of this aircraft carrier and we're in our lounge chair Enjoying the sun and relaxing and asking for one of the crew members to bring us another drink when instead we should be getting in a plane and going and attacking the gates of hell. We are God's army. Guys, there are lots of illustrations for the church. There are battle illustrations. There are body illustrations. The church is called the bride of Christ. There are all these illustrations. I'm just leaning into one of them. We have a mission. We have the greatest mission of all. We're called to get up and get to work and do the work of Jesus Christ in the body and in the community in the world that is lost in darkness, we have the light of Jesus to go and share with them. And so, if you weren't at the, uh, at the, the breakfast this morning, we talked about some things that are happening in this next year. Uh, the big one being, starting on February 5th, we're gonna move to one combined service. 
At 9.30, we're doing away with the 11 o'clock service. We're going to combine together at 9.30, starting February 5th, moving forward. A united body of Christ meeting together at the same time. At, the same, at that same moment, we also have the blessing to help another kingdom work that's happening through our Spanish-speaking church that's been meeting here for a little over two years. They're going to meet in the Fellowship Hall at the exact same time. We will be one location with an English-speaking and a Spanish-speaking church, reaching all generations with the life-changing hope of Jesus in this community. And when we are united together, understanding that we've got a mission, there's nothing that can stop us. So we're going to combine. And there are a lot of things that are going to be happening over the next coming months. Uh, Some of the leadership team um, and elders and deacons uh, are working together with our state convention right now in a program to help us refocus the mission of our church. We've been meeting for a couple of months. We're going to meet for a few more. And out of that, we're hoping that this will help us make us, help us understand what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, help us to understand who we are as a church and how we can best reach the community for Jesus. Now, here's the hard part about that. Refocus means that our focus is a little off. Put that picture of the aircraft carrier back up there for a second. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to ever have ever served on an aircraft carrier to know this, but some of you in this room have served on massive battleships like this one. If the commander-in-chief were to, to tell this ship, I need you to turn and go this other direction because you've get, gotten just a little off course or, or I, the things have changed and I need you to move over here now, does that battleship just turn? No. Turning a ship of this size takes time, doesn't it? It's a progression. You move little bits of angle at a time until you're pointed in the right direction. Guys, there are a lot of aspects of our church that are very, very healthy. We are a church that loves God's word. We value prayer and worshiping him in truth and in spirit. We are a church that I believe loves one another. I believe we have great unity. But can we be really honest with ourselves for a moment? We have not done a great job leading the lost to Jesus. So that means we need to take something that's maybe not super healthy about our life as a body of Christ and we need to refocus it, don't we? And that's what this is about understanding how to be a church that's leading people to the lost, that we are leading people to the lost this year and next year and 30 years from now, that we're a healthy church that's thriving for not just this generation, but for generations to come. But let me ask you a question. If, if our focus is here and God calls us to say our focus should be over here, that means we've got to turn. Turning means what? It means change. 
there may be something that comes out of this refocus process that is a change. How many of you just love change? Nobody. Well, maybe a few of you. Most people like their routines. They like the way things have been. Most of you are sitting here today because you really like some aspect of our church. I hope, I pray that those aspects that you do like about our church stay mostly the same. But guys, let's be honest for a second. It's not up to us, is it? What was the big idea? We want to be successful our way, but God wants us to be successful His way. He may be calling us to something, to some change, to some difference that maybe we won't like that much. But let me be very frank with you. If God's the one that calls us to it, we will follow our commander-in-chief. And if our commander-in-chief, through the wisdom of our elders and these experts from the state convention that are working with us here, if this process, if through this process, God says, I need you to turn the battleship, guys, we must be obedient to God. We must do what he tells us to do because we will not exist as a church 30 years down the road if we are disobedient to our king and our master and our commander. So here's what I'm asking of you today. I want you to pray for this process that our leaders are going through. It's called refocus. And I want you to just go to the Lord and regularly ask him to give us wisdom and insight into what he wants us to be doing. This is not simple. I'll, I'll tell you right now, we've already had two meetings uh, with these experts, uh, and we've had a couple meetings just as a team, and they have not been easy. But they've been beneficial. They've been godly. And so I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would, <laughs> I would beg you, Pray for this process and this team as we navigate and try to hear God's words and his direction for our church so that we can be a church that in 2023 refocuses on what he wants us to refocus on. And then I would ask this, what are you doing on the battleship? Are you sitting on the deck in your lounger? Or are you getting in a plane to go out and lead the lost to Jesus? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. As our Lord, our master, our commander in chief, we thank you for who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the church that you want us to be. Not, the, not by our own standards, not by our own measurements, but by your standards, your measurements. Help us to be the church that you call us to be. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us this amazing body of Christ. But Lord, we recognize that this body of Christ needs your direction, not our own. And help us, Lord, to all remember 
that we're never called to be sitting back in a lounger on a cruise ship. We're called to go out and storm the gates of hell because our commander-in-chief has already won the fight. He's already won the war, the battle. Use us now. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.